Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. This is the first use of the word Yahid, and it emphasizes how Isaac was his only son. And so this now is really bringing, this Yahid brings the concept of John 3.16, when it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. If John 3.16 was in Hebrew, it would read, God so loved the world that he gave his Yahid, his only Son, so that we could have everlasting life. So it's this concept in mind that the Lord is saying in verse 20, deliver my yahid, my only soul, from the power of the dog. He's reminding the father of his yahidness. And then he says in verse 21, save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. He's been praying all along for God to deliver him. He said in verse 20, deliver my soul. But now he prays with a word that he hasn't used before. He says, save me. Now, this is the word that he has used here is yasha, yasha. It's very close to Yeshua, Yeshua. And you know that Yeshua means salvation. And yasha is similar to it, but yasha has this meaning of open wide, open wide. So the idea here is that this person who prays this word, yasha, is in a trap. He's closed in. He's in prison. And he's asking God to open the way up for the deliverance. He's praying for deliverance. You know, that was our state. That was our condition. When That's a state of everyone. When they pray a prayer, when anybody prays a prayer, save me from my sins. This is the concept because sin entraps. The Lord Jesus said in John 8.34, John 8.34, so here's the verse here, John 8.12, where he said, I am the light of the world. And later on in verse 34 in the same chapter, he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 5.22, Proverbs 5.22, his own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his own sins. In Romans 6.12, in Romans 6.12, it says, let not sin reign, hold you in his grip, reign in your mortal body that you should obey it. So this word reign is be king over. And in Romans 6.16, Romans 6.16 Know you not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom he obey, whether sin to death. This is what sin does. Sin tempts. And sin says, come over here. Come over here. And unless a person says no, and they yield, you know, no one thinks when they're yielding to temptation that they're yielding to become a prisoner. But the picture is so clear of this when you look at the young man in the book of Proverbs who is seduced by the evil woman. 
She flatters him. She entices him till finally she conquers him. And what it says in Proverbs 7.21, Proverbs 7.21 is, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. I mean, that's a picture of what sin does. Causes to yield. Forces. Pretty aggressive. Pretty aggressive language to describe what she's done. But that's the picture that's given to us. Proverbs 6.26, Proverbs 6.26. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. She brings the man to a piece of bread, and she hunts. People think that, well, you know, I can just have a little naughty sin, wash my hands of it, walk away, be done. But sin says, oh, no, <laughs> you broke it, you own it. Sin says, where are you going? Where do you think you're going? You can't walk away. When a person tries to walk away from sin, he says, you can't leave. You're now my servant. And people think they could just walk away when they want to, but the trouble is they can't want to. And anybody, any of you remember those Chinese thumb traps? Have you ever seen the Chinese thumb traps, you know? I was raised in L.A., and we used to go down to Chinatown, and we used to buy the Chinese thumb traps. We used to go to Tijuana and buy the cherry bombs, but in Chinatown, we buy the Chinese thumb traps. Sin is like that Chinese thumb trap. You know, it feels nice, it's interesting, you put your thumb in it, and then you want to pull it out. Oh, no, <laughs> you're not pulling that out. See, sin starts that way. That's why Ralph Waldo Emerson, when he wrote that, these words are so good. He wrote, sow a thought and reap an act. Sow an act and reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. And that destiny is what he is referring to as the destiny of hell for eternity. It all starts with just a thought, just a thought. And that's why the Bible has so much to say about thoughts. In Proverbs 4.23, Proverbs 4.23, it says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Your heart all diligence. Why? Because in Proverbs 23.7, Proverbs 23.7, it says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's where the thoughts are, in the heart. They're in the heart. And that's why the Lord said in Mark 7.21, Mark 7.21, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, See, that's where all of our problems come from. They come from what the Lord describes as from within, from within, from our hearts, from the seat of our thoughts. It's the engine that's generating our thoughts. A tool to use to keep this from happening, the evil thoughts, you give your heart to the Lord. You give your heart to the Lord. You give your mind to the Lord. You give your head to the Lord, your eyes to the Lord, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet. And then when you think a bad thought, you say to yourself, that shouldn't be thought by God's heart. I gave my heart to God. No, that's out of place. I shouldn't be looking at those things. No, I gave these eyes to God. God doesn't want his eyes to be used like that's a weapon. And that's why it's so important, personal confession of sin. We need to be very sensitive to our thoughts. Think of some sinful thought, immediately kill it by confessing it. Our human nature is to say, what? I didn't do anything. I didn't do any sin. I've got nothing to confess. But God says, oh, no. In Proverbs 24, 9, Proverbs 24, 9, it says the thought of foolishness is sin. So our sinful thoughts that need to be confessed, which is why our prayer should always constantly be, Lord, cleanse my heart. Cleanse my heart. Now, God told Israel in Deuteronomy 15, 9, 
Deuteronomy 15, 9. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart. It's not exactly flattering to say they have wicked hearts, but this is what God said. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart. Oh, the heart. Our hearts are a problem because the problem was described for us in Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9 describes our hearts like this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What does that mean? Our hearts trick us and it's impossible for us to even know how bad we are. That's why our prayer should be Psalm 139.23. Psalm 129.23. Psalm 139.23. Search me, O God, and know my hearts, try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what we should do. We need to go to God for constant heart checkups. You should check our heart all the time. Okay, where were we? This is not, it's got a little, I diverted, sorry. We were on Yasha, Yasha, you remember? Verse 21. We're talking about how it means to open wide for deliverance. Okay, now here we are. So the Lord is crying out in verse 21 to be saved. And he uses this word, Yasha, here. And just think about this. The Lord was in so much trouble that he cried out to be saved. That's pretty assuring for us. That's pretty comforting for us. When we cry out to the Lord to save us, just to go back to verse 21 and to say to the Lord, you know, Lord, like you cried out to be saved, it's very assuring for us because it brings to us our minds that, we have a special high priest, a high priest who is described in Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 4.15, when it says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What a wonderful word, touched, in Hebrews 4.15. He's touched. He's touched with, with our feeling. We feel we need to be saved. And the Lord said, I've been there. I know that. I've been there. Remember verse 21? I cried out. So whenever you and I cry out to the Lord Jesus, remember to save us. Remember verse 21. Save me. Now, notice what the Lord says when he says, save me in verse 21. He says, save me from the lion's mouth. He's praying to be saved when he's in the lion's mouth. In the lion's mouth? That's pretty much on the brink of it all to be on the lion's mouth. The Lord's saying is that the lion has run him down. He says his strength is all gone. He can't resist anymore. He says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. The lion has run him down. The lion has caught him. And now he's in the mouth of the lion. And you know that. You can picture it in your mind. The lion is prancing so proudly with the prey in his jaws. And the prey is still alive. And he's prancing off. He says, you know, and the lion's thinking, i got to find some perfect place where I can go and devour this prey. It's in the lion's mouth. It's the last point of being able to be rescued. In the lion's mouth is a phrase that refers to the last chance to be rescued. It's spoken of about Job. Job said in Job 29.17, Job 29.17, when Job was talking about how he rescued other people, Job said, I break the jaws of the wicked and plucked the spoil out of his teeth. When David was telling Saul, he was telling Saul that he was trying to convince Saul that he was a brave fighter and he could go up against Goliath. And David said that he delivered prey from the jaws of a lion when he said in 1 Samuel 17.34, 1 Samuel 17.34, 
David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock, and I went after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I caught him by his beard, and I smote him and slew him. So from that experience, David saw how he was a lamb that needed God to deliver him out of the jaws of the lion. And from that experience of breaking the jaw of the lion, David prays to God in Psalm 124.6. Psalm 124.6, blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. Now, this is what the Lord is praying in verse 21, that God would save him from the lion's mouth. And then all of a sudden, something happened in verse 21 when he says, thou hast heard me, for thou hast heard me. Now, what's this cry? What's he saying here? Something has changed. Everything has changed. The Lord is now saying he's been heard, and now everything has changed. All of his prayer, it's changed. Now the Lord is shouting a cry of victory, and the victory cry is, God has heard me. God has heard me. I've been heard. He's been heard from the horns of the unicorns. It's another one of those terrible places to be, a place of desperation from the horns of the unicorn. The unicorn tosses its prey up in the air, and the final stab is going to be with the horns. Actually, the word translated unicorn could also be buffalo. Same idea. doesn't matter. Unicorn, buffalo, they all kill in the same way. But right from the horns, the Lord has been heard, and it's to hallelujah time. From the lion's mouth, from the horns of the unicorn, it's hallelujah. And he says, by the way, this is what it means to be saved. He says, save me, and then thou hast heard me. What it is to be saved is to be heard by God. And he knows that God has heard him. And at this point, he gives out this victory cry, which we hear in Luke 23, 46. Luke 23, 46, where it says, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. So inside, he's crying, thou hast heard me. And out loud, he's crying, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Just before he dies, he knows that God has heard him. He sees God's hands now receiving him as he dies. And this is the victory cry in verse 21, thou has heard me. Now, you think about what happened? What was going on here? And you have to go all the way back to Leviticus 16. To Leviticus 16, verse 15. Because this is the passage on the sacrifice for the nation of Israel, the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16, 15 says, Then, this is the high priest, Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil. you got to go over there. That veil that separated the Holy of Holies, third chamber from the holy place. He said, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household for the congregation of Israel. Really, I really encourage you to just go over there to the tabernacle model there. And we may just take a few moments there just to sit down quietly, look at that model of the high priest, see the veil, see the mercy seat, the place where God talked. 
to the priest. See the rope that was tied around the ankle of the priest for this great day, this day of atonement? And just take time to think about what that high priest did on the day of atonement, how he took the blood of the sacrifice from the goat, threw the veil into the Holy of Holies, and sprinkled it, sprinkled it, the mercy seat on the mercy seat. And when he was doing that, and he was all alone, he was all alone doing that, just as the Lord was all alone on the cross. He was forsaken even by God. When he was all alone in there, the priest is all alone in there, and all of Israel is holding their breath, waiting to see if the blood of the sacrifice has been accepted by God. And if it wasn't accepted by God, the high priest would be struck dead there in the Holy of Holies. So Israel thought to themselves, if that does happen, who's going to go in there and get that corpse? I ain't going in there. So they said, we got to tie a rope around his ankle so we can pull the corpse out of there. I mean, that's how serious it was. So Israel tied this rope around the high priest's ankle to be able to pull out his dead body. It shows, when you look at that rope, just think of the tension. Just think of the anxiety, how high it was until the high priest had sprinkled the blood and we found out if it was accepted or not. But after the blood was sprinkled and after the blood was accepted, then there was this great relief. You could hear this, you know, that was another close one. As this relief, and everyone knew that the prayers of the high priest were heard. And the prayers of the high priest were heard all because the blood was sprinkled and accepted. This is what's happening in verse 21. This is the high priest, Jesus, our high priest. Here he is, Jesus, the great high priest. He has sprinkled now only his own blood. And just like the high priest's prayer were not heard until the blood had been sprinkled and accepted, Here's the great high priest whose prayers are now being heard because his blood has been sprinkled and it's been accepted by God. And he cries out in verse 21, Thou hast heard me. And we know this is the point where the blood was sprinkled and accepted by God. And he knows his sprinkled blood was accepted when he said, Thou hast heard me. And everybody, as far as God is concerned, everybody's going to know his sprinkled blood was accepted because three days later, God's going to raise him from the dead. He's going to be resurrected from the dead. That's the great change. He's no more praying about himself and his condition now from verse 21. It's all changed. He's been heard. He has been delivered. He's been saved. His fight is over. He fought it. He fought it. He won. He won the victory. And now when he says, he, thou hast heard me, he might as well be crying out, winner. I'm the winner. I won. And then something happened, which never happened before. The veil of the temple was torn right down the middle from the top to the bottom. As thick as a man's hand, that veil was, and God just tore it. That veil that separated God from man, in Matthew 27, 50, Matthew 27, 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake, the rocks rent, the graves were opened, many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves, after his resurrection, and went into the holy city and reappeared unto many. And we sing this hymn. Once our blessed Christ of beauty was veiled off from human view, but through suffering, death, and sorrow, he has rent the veil in two. He's the mighty conqueror since he rent the veil in two. And the victory cry is, thou hast heard me. Now he goes on. Everything changes now. And now there's a whole new focus in verse 22. He says, now I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. He's risen from his victory over sin and death and the devil. 
And now he has a new priority in verse 22, which he's going to declare now God's name to his brethren. Who might that be? Well, John 1.11 maybe. He came unto his own, his own received him not. That would be his Jewish brethren, the ones he came to, and the ones we just say, just sung about, scorned by those he came to save, the ones who didn't save, receive him. But the Jewish people are not only his brethren, because he also identified his brethren in Mark 3.32, Mark 3.32, when it says the multitude sat about him, and he said, Behold thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who's my mother or my brethren? And he looked about them and said, Behold my mother, behold my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, of God, the same as my mother, my sister, and my brother. He calls them brethren, who are the children that God has given to him, according to Isaiah 8.18. Isaiah 8.18. Behold, I and the children whom God hath given to me. Now, we see this, who his brethren are. It, this is all called into focus in Hebrews 2.9. Hebrews 2.9. Hebrews 2.9, where it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For, for both he that is sanctified, he who is sanctified, are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. It's referencing this verse, Psalm, Psalm 22, 22. In the midst of the church will I sing praises unto thee. And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children which God hath given to me. So in this Psalm 22, what we see here is Jesus who suffered all of these things that we've seen in these verses 1 through 20. But also in this Psalm 22, we see Jesus who is crowned with glory and honor because he tastes death for every man. He's opened wide the door of salvation, and we see that he brings many sons to glory. And now, and because of this, in verse 21, he calls us his brethren. We're his brethren. And he says, I will declare God's name unto my brethren. So it's important to see what he is literally saying here in verse 22. Literally, it reads like this. So will I tell my brethren your name. This is his priority. Since he suffered all these things, he's become the Savior, he's the comforter now, and this is a pattern for us. This is a pattern for us too, that when we come out of a great deliverance, that we should talk about it. And that's what he does here, as God has delivered him, and so he's gonna proclaim that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what a wonderful Savior he is. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Lamb of God. And so, Lord, we do pray that, that as we see these things, Lord, you would help us to be forever thankful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. 
Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited time offer for our Friendship with God Study Bible and Hymnal. This package includes a large printed genuine lambskin leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, Visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104.